everybody. It is time for Buccaneers Insider Live. Casey Phillips here with Scott Smith. And this is, as always, where we take your questions, talk about everything you want to hear about your team. Before we get into that, I got a shout out. I got my Bucks Vote t-shirt on and my little sticker because I voted. Right. Send it in today. So I've made it official. So again, just wanted to let everybody know. Bucks Vote, if you guys have any questions about getting registered or making sure, actually, the registration deadline is passed. But if you need some information on how to vote, where to vote, all of that stuff, uh, you can text Bucks Vote to 26797. It has been so cool to see the initiative that the team has taken on to help uh, get the word out about voting. So again, we're getting down to the wire here. So make sure you've got a plan. Don't wait till the last minute. Get out, get your vote going. So now that we've gotten the voting part out of the way, I want to hear from you. Uh, I know we had uh, essentially sort of a bonus practice yesterday and a whole flurry of roster moves. So uh, why don't we kind of start with the roster moves and then what you were able to see in, in the limited part of practice that was open yesterday to tell us kind of where we're at in terms of injuries. Well, it all began with the, it's all it's all stemming from really Vita Vea's injury, which is really a terrible uh, happenstance for him, first and foremost, of course, but also a huge blow to the Bucks' defense. Um, and also Jack Sitchi, who's, as we know, has had some bad injury uh, fortune throughout his NFL career. He's got a hamstring injury, and hopefully this is short-term IR for him. But both those guys went on IR, and then the Buccaneers promoted a veteran corner, Ross Cockrell, uh, from, the, from the practice squad, and also uh, Chappelle Russell, the rookie, the seventh-round linebacker. He should be a one-for-one -one replacement for Jack Sitchie and probably play on special teams. Uh, a bunch of players added to the practice squad. We brought back Cody McElroy, the tight end, uh, Travis Johnson, receiver, Cedric Ware, a running back, and then a linebacker that's new to the team named T. Gray Scales. Don't really know a whole lot about him yet. He hasn't played any NFL games yet. Uh, also, we have uh, Parnell Motley, and uh, I think he did get claimed – by the 49ers. That's the rookie corner. I, I wonder if the Buccaneers were hoping uh, to make a switch between the practice squad and the active roster between him and Cockrell and just couldn't quite get him through waivers. So there's a few other moves, but that's the, that's the meat of it right there. Okay. And then what you learned from watching practice in terms of, I know that I'm sure the vast majority of our questions today are going to be about injury updates, who's going to be available, who's not. We talked about, we know that Vita's out for a while, but a lot of these offensive injuries that um, we're hoping maybe the, the extra days could help get some guys back. So um, I know we won't have an actual injury report until today because that was a bonus practice yesterday. But what could you tell based on who was out there? Well, fortunately for us, even though we, don't, we didn't get an actual injury report yesterday, Bruce Arians did make a few statements that you could um, – you know, that were actually pretty informational. Uh, the best one being that he thought there was a good chance that all of those injured running backs and receivers who have been missing time could be back on the practice field by Thursday in some capacity. Some of them are already back, like Mike Evans and Scotty Miller and Justin Watson. And we're talking about, in the case of Evans and Miller, two guys that have actually been playing through injuries. And I think it's pretty obvious it's it's not been easy for them and it's limited their production a little bit, but with that long weekend, hopefully those guys are closer to hundred percent. And then, so we're waiting on guys like Chris Godwin, Leonard Fournette and LaShawn McCoy. And so we'll see on Thursday, if it does work out as well um, on Tuesday at the portion of practice that we were allowed to watch, all those guys were out on the field and running around a little bit, but it was, it was, you know, conditioning work and not, not actual practice. Okay. Uh, we had a question from Tony who asked, uh, what do you think we do on the defensive line now that Vita's out? Well, the number one guy that's going to pick up more time is uh, Nacho, as we call him, or Raheem Nunez Rochez. He was really one of the main stars of training camp. Uh, so it's actually, you wouldn't want it to happen this way, but it's actually pretty cool that he is getting an opportunity to see more playing time, uh, just to see if what we saw in training camp can translate to a big role in games. Uh, he actually 
added upper body bulk and strength in the offseason because he was told by a team they wanted him to be the primary nose tackle to share snaps with Vita Vea. So he's ready for this role. He's also done this before in Kansas City a few years back. So he's ready. But another guy that I think um, you might just see more of is Will Golston. He's been a bit of the unsung hero on that line. I think you might be surprised to know that Will Golston actually leads this team with seven quarterback hits right now. Uh, he's always been a key to the, the rush defense. He's got a couple sacks. So he would often come off the field in our sub packages when you only have two down linemen. Maybe he'll get to see some more time in those packages with Indomitian Sue and get a chance to rush the passer a little bit more. Yeah, I've heard uh, from both Bruce and Todd Bowles recently on a couple of the shows that I've done with them about how this defense fits Will Golston so well and that Todd Bowles even talked about how similar it is to what he played in college. And so in sort of your, your biggest formative years there. So I, it has been really cool to see that I think he is a guy that for whatever reason, we just haven't always talked about as often, hasn't gotten all the accolades he deserves. But now it, it does feel like this defense and this year seem to just be right up his alley and, and letting him really show off his skill set. I'm sure Will himself would tell you that every one of his seasons since he arrived here hasn't been great. Some of them have been up and some have been down, but some of them have been really good. And to build on your point about playing in that system in college, that's exactly why the Buccaneers drafted him when they did. And it was a Greg Schiano year. And even though you would not realize this because one was a four, three and one supposedly a three, four, the two systems are actually very similar for the guys up front. And so this defense is very much what Will was drafted for. And it's, so it's not a huge surprise that he's succeeding in it. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, okay, so Michael asked, what are some of the keys to the game plan against the Packers? Well, you know, how do you stop the highest scoring team in the league with uh, scoring 38 points a game and, and being led by uh, Aaron Rodgers, who seems to have a chip on his shoulder to prove the doubters wrong and to prove the Packers wrong for drafting Jordan Love? Jordan Love might be the rookie of the year if you consider his drafting pushing Rodgers to doing what he's doing. As Bruce Arians said, you can't be, be scared, though, when you play against Aaron Rodgers. You have, to, you have to be aggressive. And so I think the key is probably going to be getting some pressure on him. It would be best if that could occur with just your front guys, your pass rushers, your four guys, hopefully, so you don't have to blitz because obviously Aaron Rodgers has seen it all and can extend plays and can make big plays against the blitz. So a blitz is a big risk-reward, big risk big reward um, proposition against Dan Rogers. So uh, getting pressure up front with your main rush would be, would be important, I think. Yeah. And I've thought about how important playing penalty free or less yeah. penalized will be because Aaron Rodgers has just always been so good at taking advantage of those free plays. That's exactly right. Oh my gosh. When he, it's like you, you can almost see the excitement he gets when he sees that flag and he knows that there's, there's no, you know, worries about what he does and he can just air it out. That yeah, that seems like when he does some of his best work. So I feel like we're definitely, on, at least on that side of the ball for sure, going to have to make sure that we don't give him those free plays. Um, Aaron asks, will Tanner Hudson be more involved with the offense now that OJ is out? I think he already was. I think you saw him get a number of targets in that game in Chicago. Uh, yes, and Tanner Hudson at the moment is more of a pass-catching tight end so uh, than he is a blocker. So I still think your primary two tight end sets are going to be uh, Gronkowski and Cam Brait. But yeah, he's, he's getting some action in there. And, and we all know he's got fantastic hands. Mike Evans says he's got the second best hands on the team after him. Um, and, and, you know, he's an athletic guy who's got a lot of potential. We talked about him a lot during training camp, how we thought this guy would be on the 53-man roster for almost every team in the league, but it was going to be tough for him 
with the tight end depth that we had, but as you can see, uh, we ended up needing him. So, um, yeah, I think, I think you'll see a little bit more Tanner Hudson. I, don't, I still don't think he, I, he's going to get the same amount of targets as Gronkowski and Bright, but I think he'll be involved. Well, and actually that works out well because our next question was from Kevin asking about how Bright fits in with that with OJ being out. So it's kind of funny to hear. You can tell that each of them have sort of been given credit for filling in for the OJ role to a degree. So I guess overall, how do we, we – we've only really had one game to look at, but how you think OJ being out has affected the whole group and, and is it more of a replacement by – committee or is bit. it more of Bright specifically? Yeah, it's a little bit of a committee thing because I think Tanner Hudson is, if you're, if you're trying to replicate those plays where you get down the field quickly like OJ can and you can work the seams, uh, maybe get some mismatches against the linebacker that you can beat, uh, that's more like Tanner Hudson. He's more likely to get farther down the field and make plays like that. But we all know that Cam Bray can make is just such a sure-handed receiver and a good route runner and a very trusted guy for his quarterback. So you see him catch a lot of passes, um, you know, of the more like eight to 10 variety or the big ones in the red zone where he's, he's fantastic from about the 18 yard line in runs that like skinny post and makes a catch in traffic. He did, however, catch a 20 yard pass on third and 15 in the last game. So I guess every now and then you, you can get him down the field a little bit. Okay, Mark asked, do you see Jamel Dean becoming the starter opposite of Carlton Davis in base defense? Uh, well, I mean, what's the impetus for that? I mean, the past defense overall, it seems like it's been pretty good. And also it's been in it, – it's always in nickel more often than not. And some teams that's up to like – you know, that depends on what the offense does. And sometimes that's up to like 70%. Um, I mean, it's possible. That's what they said at the beginning of the year, that that was going to remain a competition. And so – Dean is, Dean is obviously uh, uh, putting up some numbers. He had four passes defense in that last game. He was in coverage on the tight end a lot in that game. So it, I'm not sure that was necessarily him um, being just the outside guy covering the outside receiver. So I think they like the setup the way they have it. But, yeah, the guy that's producing the most is going to be on the field. Okay, and we had Sean ask uh, why we're wearing the white jerseys more than the red so far this season. And I always, I, I always love that question. And it's very fair. Um, I think a lot of times people don't know that you have to select it all before the season starts. And so it's not just a week by week thing. And so knowing how hot it can potentially be, they want to be in the lightest color possible early on. Is that, is that accurate? That's what I feel like yeah. I've always heard. Yeah. And it's a shame that you can't pick week to week. You basically have to pick way back in like May, mm -hmm. uh, not long after the schedule comes out be, and then all your choices are communicated to your opponents so that, you know, I'm saying you choose what you're wearing at home. I should put that out there first, right. which is communicated to your opponents. So they know they have to wear the opposite. If you're wearing white, they have to wear the colored Jersey and vice versa. Uh, and then of course we're a bit at the whim of the opponent, uh, unless we decide to wear our alternates, which I believe we're doing three times, which is great because they're awesome. The mm -hmm. pewter ones, but if they decide to go color at home, you know, like if you're in Denver and they want to wear their colored jerseys in their nice 60 degree weather, then we're going to be in white. Um, so like you said, the Bucks do this every year because we all know it's still hot here, very, very hot now most years, it, all the way through October. So we usually don't even try to wear anything but white at home until November to give, our, um, to give us an advantage. Whatever advantage you can get, put your opponents in the dark color. And so the combination of having to wear white on the road a lot because other teams choose their color plus us wearing white early in the year is why you end up with that. It's, it's always been that way through the history right. of the years. Yeah, yeah. And thankfully, our white jerseys are great. We're a big fan, <laughs> well, as I have it sitting back here. Very nice. Um, Gilbert had asked, uh, does Tyler Johnson look promising now that he's gotten some reps? Yeah, yeah. I thought he had a nice game. 
Um, you could see his run after the catch ability, which is something that uh, was talked about. You also could see that he could get open short and intermediate. I didn't really throw him a bomb yet, but he had that one downfield where he turned it into a 35-yard play. Um, that was another part of the scouting report on him. He's just naturally good at getting open at several levels on the field. So I think he's very promising. Yeah, absolutely. And Dan had asked, uh, how do you see the running back carries be split when Fournette and Shady possibly come back, but now Rojo's coming off a couple straight 100-yard games? Probably about the same, though. I mean, I still think that Coach wants to run two, at least two guys to carry the ball during the game. Uh, Shady, if he's back, would probably go back into a third-down role, although I wonder if Keyshawn Vaughn might start to eat into that a little bit because he looks like a pretty good pass catcher out of the backfield. Um, in the last game, I think Ronald Jones had all of the carries uh, and, you know, with those guys out, but there were only 17 of them, and we only had 20 carries overall because uh, I think Tom Brady had like three kneel downs or, or he had that one sneak, um, but really just 17 handoffs in the game, and they all went to Ronald Jones, but that's because he only had 17. We probably want to be somewhere in the 25 to 30 range, and in that case, there's definitely room for both him and Fournette or Vaughn, but probably Fournette when he's back to get some carries. Okay, and related to that, James, uh, or sorry, Alex had asked, uh, do you think Keyshawn Vaughn will be more involved um, after his production in recent weeks? It seems like it. it it's going to be – it's a little hard to answer that question right now when, when we don't know what the picture has looked like when all those guys are healthy. So the very first time that we have Leonard Fournette back and then Keyshawn Vaughn is active, we'll get a better feel for it, which could be this Sunday, of course. Um, you know – I still think it's going to be hard for Keyshawn to get a bunch of carries in the foreseeable future as long as Leonard Fournette is active, but he could factor into the passing game a bit more, as I said before. Okay, and we'll close with this. Uh, Anthony asks, Carlton Davis is tied for um, the league in interceptions. What do you think he has done to improve his game from last season to this season? Yeah, I think he must have just been working on getting his head around to, to see the ball, um, you know, sooner. Uh, he has been since – Last year, for most of the last year, he's been very, very good in coverage, and he ends up with a lot of passes defense, but he, he, he didn't get in, he didn't translate into, into interceptions because he wasn't seeing the ball in front of him. I mean, I mean, some of it is just just making an incredible play. Like the one in Chicago, he just threw his hand in there and then caught the deflection. So maybe it's just a matter of because his coverage has been so tight and remains that way that the opportunities are coming, and now he's just starting to take advantage of them a little bit. Okay, well, that's going to do it for us on this edition of Buccaneers Insider Live presented by Miller Lite. We will be coming to you live 45 minutes before kickoff on Sunday before the Packers game. So we hope to see you guys then. Have a great rest of your week. Yeah.